Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. Mark that passage of Scripture, please, and turn to 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Matthew 25, 2 Peter, chapter 1. Mark that passage of Scripture. We'll be back to both of those a little bit later. And turn to our text, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Matthew 25, 2 Peter chapter 1, and our text this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Many times we hear that there are two subjects that we are not to address, religion and politics. But we don't talk about religion around here. We talk about a relationship. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through his son. We talk about the wonder of God sending his son to demonstrate his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we talk about whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and as many as received him, to them are given the privilege to become the children of God even to them that believe on his name. That is not religion, that is a relationship. We don't talk about politics. We do talk about principles that lead to righteousness. And we talk about God's truth in contrast to our culture, recognizing that it is God's truth that needs to be lived out in our lives. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And it's not about political stands. It's about applying God's truth to our hearts and to our culture through our lives. There's a third subject that sometimes makes us uncomfortable, and that's the subject of money. Money is a very personal, a very private kind of thing in our lives. And sometimes people get a little nervous when a pastor starts to talk about money. Well, I'm not going to talk about money this morning. I'm going to talk about our attitude toward money. It may surprise you that there are over 2,300 references in the Word of God that talk about treasure or money. It may surprise you that of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke, 11 of them had to do with money. Money as a topic in God's Word, is the second most addressed topic that is referenced in the Word of God. Number one, prayer. And I think that interesting because prayer talks about our relationship with God, and money talks about our relationship to what God has given to us to invest for His honor and His glory. And so this morning, I want us to recognize what the attitude of our lives should be toward the resources that God has given to us. Now, I want to give you the big picture, and it's found in our text. Look at verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. There Paul reminds Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the root of all evil. In fact, as you look at those who loved God that are identified in the Scripture, a number of them were wealthy individuals. Abraham was a wealthy individual. 
Job had much. David, Solomon, God had blessed them in very particular ways. So it's not money. It's the attitude about money, the love of money, the focus on money, the desire to obtain money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now this morning, I want to give you five principles that should guide our attitude toward money. And then we are going to look at the four principles of stewardship as we recognize that what God has given to us, we are to use for his honor and his glory. I want to take the time to read the text this morning. Are you in 1 Timothy chapter 6? You follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I begin with verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul here is reminding Timothy to use the resources that God has given to him in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And he begins with verse 6 by saying, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. There were false teachers that thought godliness would give them gain, that they would profit from being in the ministry, that they would somehow be blessed simply because they were, they were part of a, of a ministry situation. But I want you to know this morning that as we look at money, money is not that which gives to us an understanding of, of wealth. Money is not a sign that we are wealthy. What is a sign that we are wealthy? Paul says godliness, God-rightness, a relationship that pleases God is that which brings honor and glory to God, and it is that which is great gain. How much time in your life do you spend on being godly? How much investment do you make in your life in making sure that you are the kind of person that God wants you to be. Now, many of us either do or have had employment. And much of our time is occupied or was occupied with going out and doing a job, right? 40, 50, 60 hours a week. We, we invested Because it was our responsibility. Let me remind you that as a child of God, your responsibility this morning is to be godly. God expects us to be godly. Say, well, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not high enough on the totem pole. I I don't have enough resources. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy and turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Will you please? 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now stop right there. What do the words has granted mean to you? Maybe if I try hard enough. It's an opportunity that God gives to some and not to others. No. The has granted is for each of us to understand that as a child of God, being indwelt by the Spirit of God, living according to the Word of God, God's given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Do you believe that this morning? God has given you everything you need that pertains to life. And God has given you everything that you need that pertains to godliness. Let's go on. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do not be content with being a mediocre Christian. Do not be content with being less than what God wants you to be. We are to live the Christian life with excellence. The best possible motives that lead to the best possible actions in our lives. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinless desire. Do you see a contrast there? Do you see a contrast between the divine nature And that which the world has to offer? Do you recognize this morning that there is a real difference between being heavenly minded and earthly focused? I recently listened to a message by Tony Evans. And Tony Evans was talking about the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with that passage of Scripture, are you not? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's where he stopped. And what he said was, we need to learn more about what's going on in heaven if we're going to do that down here. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we don't understand what's going on in heaven, then how in the world are we going to live that out down here? That's the divine nature That's the spirit-controlled life. That's God working in us and through us to accomplish his heavenly plan. God wants you, God wants me as his children, as his representatives, as his people to show this corrupt culture what it means to live above it and for the honor and glory of God. It's not about all this stuff going on around us. It's about the divine nature that we have been given. Verse 5. For this very reason, Peter writes, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and knowledge with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness with love. You see the process? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, 
brotherly affection, and love. That's growth process in our lives. And notice that godliness is included here. And may I remind you that verse 3 says, he's granted us everything we need to live according to godliness. Now, why is that important? Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of the things that just frustrates me is doing stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and never getting anything done. There are days that I come home from the office and Connie says to me, how was your day? And I say, well, I got a lot of nothing done. Well, some, some days there's a lot of nothing to do. But doesn't that frustrate you? Should that not frustrate you in your Christian life? And Peter says, if we want to be effective and increase and fruitful, these qualities should be increasing in our lives. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted. So nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Nearsightedness allows you only to see clearly what is up close. And Peter says, if you lack these qualities, you're looking at the wrong thing because you're only looking at the way you live, the things that are up close, the things that affect you on a daily basis. And he goes on to say, not only nearsighted, but blind. You know, sometimes we as Christians live as though we're blind as a bat. We don't see it. We don't recognize that this isn't what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And we may spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years here. But that's not what it's all about. It's all about eternity with God and bringing honor and glory to his name, and living out these qualities, training ourselves for godliness, and recognizing that God wants to perfect himself in us and through us for his glory. You see, money isn't a sign of real wealth. Godliness is, because godliness with contentment is great gain a godward attitude a recognition that it is all about the glory of god contentment satisfaction paul wrote in philippians chapter 4 i have learned in whatsoever state i am therewith to be content 30 years ago when i moved to michigan i thought that's how it applied A Buckeye being content living in Michigan. That's not what it's all about, folks. What it's all about is recognizing that no matter where you are, God is going to take care of you, God is going to take care of me, and that's okay. God's given me everything I need to be the kind of person that he wants me to be. Money is not a sign of real wealth Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's so necessary in our lives.
Proverbs chapter 30 tells us this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. (laughs) I don't want to deny God because I got so much and I'm dependent upon me. And God will never place us in a situation where we've got to steal because God always takes care of the righteous. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, I have yet to see the righteous begging nor a seed going without bread. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. Not only is godliness with contentment great gain and money is not a real sign of, of wealth, money is only temporary. Look with me at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. I have never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. Have you? Now the Egyptians tried that. They tried to bury all of the riches that their pharaohs had in their tomb. And you know what we found? All of the riches that the pharaohs had in their tomb. And we must understand that money is only a temporary thing. It comes and it goes. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 27 says this, Riches do not last forever. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will corrupt and thieves will break through and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will corrupt and thieves can't get at it. Why? Here's the attitude. For where your heart is, there is your treasure. I'm sorry, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. For where your heart is, there is your treasure. That's your attitude. Why? Because it's only temporary stuff. And we came into this world naked and we're going to leave the same way. And we can't take it with us. I love this verse. You find it in Psalms 49.10. Listen closely. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. (laughs) Well, that's profound, isn't it? Money is only temporary. We need to be able to weigh our needs and our wants versus contentment. Verse 8 says, for if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You know, life becomes more complex the more money you have. Material things demand our time and our energy. Tertullian said, and so it is that when a man walks along a road, the lighter he travels, the happier he is. Equally, on his journey of life, a man is more blessed if he does not pant beneath the burden of riches. 
There's great responsibility that comes with all the stuff that we have. Think about moving all of your stuff. What have you accumulated that if you were to have to take it someplace else, you'd have to spend time and energy taking it with you? Needs versus wants. What is contentment? And it is so important that we recognize as Paul reminds Timothy, we have food, we have clothing, therefore be content. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or he'll despise the one and cling to the other. You can't serve God in money. And the next verse begins with, therefore. Every time there's a therefore, you look at what it's there for. Now, that's what Jesus is addressing. You can't serve two masters. And then Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat or drink or what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they are? God clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow's thrown into the fire. Aren't you more valuable than that? Which of us being anxious can add one inch to our height or one minute to our lives? And then Jesus says this, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be, God will take care of you. You see, there's a difference between our wants and our needs and being content. And that's an attitude. John D. Rockefeller, a good Baptist, was asked one time, how much money is enough? And his answer, just a little bit more. It's all about attitude. Money entraps those who are rich. Listen as I read verse 9 and understand the emphasis of verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into Many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are, this is an emphatic statement. God says, this is the way it is, Timothy. Those who desire to be rich. Those who spend all of their time and energy accumulating for themselves. Those who focus on earthly stuff, just gathering Those who do that fall into temptation, into a snare. The picture here is of a trap that you would set 
in order to catch a wild animal. Put a little bait there. Trapped. Doesn't take much. And they fall into a snare. And what does that snare do to them? It leads them into senseless and harmful desires. And it plunges them into ruin and destruction. Senseless, that which is foolish, that which is irrational, illogical. Harmful, that which is hurtful. Ruin. Destruction. And the sense is that is physical as well as spiritual. Timothy, be careful. Be careful about your attitude for money. Why? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And here's the principle. Years can be wasted pursuing riches. It is through the craving, this craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know the Pharisees were described as lovers of money? In this chapter, the false teachers were described as lovers of money. And if you were to look over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, you would discover that in the last days, perilous times will come. And those who are described of having control of the last days are described this way. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the worst part. Having a form of godliness but denying the power of it in their lives. Years, lifetimes can be spent in failure simply because they're wasted pursuing money. They wander from the faith. They're pierced with many sorrows, griefs. ESV, pangs. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that. I really, really don't. So let me give you four principles of stewardship. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, will you please? Matthew chapter 25. This is a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to you. But I want to remind you of it. I want to begin with verse 14 and read down through verse 19. Listen to what God's Word has to say. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, his mas- the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, you know the rest of the, the parable. The one who had gained five received a commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of the Lord. And this is what I really think is important. Because you've been faithful in little things, I'm going to give you bigger things. The same was true for the one who had the two talents. Well done, because you've been faithful in the little stuff. I'll give you bigger stuff. And the one who buried his talent, you wicked and slothful servant. Ouch. You wicked and slothful servant. Now, what are the four principles of stewardship? Number one, God owns it all. Did you catch that in verse 14? The man going on the journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That pronoun is significant. That which was given to the servants belonged to the master. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God owns it all. God gives to us life. God gives to us the opportunity to be godly. God owns it all. You and I have nothing that God has not given to us. Tattoo that on your brain, will you please? It all belongs to God. Now, I've got a lot of junk. (laughs) And I wonder if God wants his junk back. It, It belongs to him, right? Principle number two. God gives it all back to us to enjoy. The one servant, he gave five. The one servant, he gave two. The other servant, he gave one. Now, he does not give to all of us equally, but he gives it all back to us. There's no government deductions. There's no union dues, nor Christian costs that somehow are taken away. There's no auto withdrawal nor auto pay. God gives it all back to us. Everything that you have belongs to God, but everything that you have, you have, right? Principle number three. We can increase or decrease its value dependent upon our investment. Did you notice what the man with the five talents did? 16, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. 
Our son was in our home a week ago, and he's changing jobs again. And he said, Dad, I'm just trying to figure out what this 36-year-old man wants to be when he grows up. (laughs) I wonder how many times you and I make an excuse about investing what God has given to us that we wait until we grow up or we wait until we get this done or we wait until we arrive here or we wait till you noticed that the man who was given five talents as well as the one who was given two talents went at once and invested them so that they could begin to gain interest. I'm involved in a plumbing project at home. I went to Lowe's. The guy at Lowe's said, just so you know, this is a three-trip project. Yesterday, I went back for the second time. And I know it's going to take me one more time. But I went to check out. And the bill came to, I don't know, $19.68. And the cashier says to me, would you like to donate that 32 cents to the Red Cross? I didn't know that Lowe's was collecting for the Red Cross. But I thought, that's not a bad deal. If everyone who went through those doors at Lowe's donated 32 cents to the Red Cross, that could be significant Just think what the Red Cross could do with 32 cents from all of the Lowe's customers across the country. Just think what God could do with you and me if we would simply invest what he's given to us for his honor and his glory. And not only corporately here at Calvary Baptist Church, but in our community and in our country and literally around the world with Operation Christmas Child. We can increase or decrease its value depending upon how we invest it. Say, well, I can't afford to invest it. You can't afford not to. Why did the man with the one talent bury it? You know the text. He said to his master when he returned, I knew you'd require that back from me. And I didn't want to lose anything, so here it is. You and I cannot afford not to invest what God has given to us for his honor and his glory. Now, this is not health and wealth. This is not you give to God, God owes you and will give back to you. That's not it. But one day, and here's the last principle, I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account. The master returned, didn't he? Hmm? He came back. And he brought his servants to him and said, okay, fellas, how'd you do? Now, if you know your eschatology, you know that after the rapture of the church, there are two events that are going to take place in heaven. One is the judgment seat of Christ, and one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And I will remind you that those two events are events for believers. Because only believers will be raptured and taken to heaven to ever be with the Lord. To forever be with the Lord. There are two places in Scripture where it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. One is in Romans 14. There we read, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. (laughs) Wow. One of the things that we're going to have to give an account for at the judgment seat of Christ is how we treat each other. How we share in each other's lives. How we minister to the family. How we're part of the body. Wow. The other place where the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there it simply says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's pretty general, isn't it? I do not know what the judgment seat of Christ can look like. I do not know if there's going to be some screen that flashes behind us all of our lives. That's scary. But I do know this. At the judgment seat of Christ, I will have to stand before my Savior. The one who loved me and who shed his precious blood so that I could have a relationship with him. The one who sacrificed himself for me. And that one is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God to the glory of God the Father. That I do know. That's going to be a very sobering time. And the reality is, that could be today. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. Amen? That means Jesus could come back today, right? That means I don't have time to wait to invest what God has given to me for his glory. Because I may not have another opportunity. There may be no collection of OCC boxes this afternoon if Jesus comes back. And if Jesus does come back, and there are people here to collect OCC boxes, (laughs) that'll be a sad thing. See, folks, it's all about our attitude. It's all about our attitude. Luke chapter 12 has an interesting parable in it. In this parable, Jesus is talking about being ready to stand before a wise and faithful master. Peter says to to Jesus, why are you telling us this parable? Jesus says, well, here's the deal. Those who know a lot and stand before their master having done nothing are going to be punished a lot. And those who don't know a lot and stand before their master 
having done nothing, will receive less punishment. And then he ends it this way, and we pull this out of context all the time. To whom much is given, much is required. But the truth is, you and I know a lot. We understand what God's Word says. And we have been given a lot. And to whom much is given, much is required. Why? Because the consequences are great. And Paul, in writing to Timothy, says, Timothy, I want you to understand this. The love of money is the root of all evil. And Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain.